That's good, ain't it? I appreciate them singing for us tonight. How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? I know it's already 17 after, and I know, I know we got to hurry, but I want you to join me tonight, if you will, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2 tonight. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Let me read some verses here, and then just real fast, I'll throw three things at you, and we'll be out the door. Mark, chapter 2, page 1047, if you have an old Schofield Bible, all right? And I just more or less just want to leave a thought with you as we move now. These Sunday evenings, we're talking about Friend Day. We're talking about bringing our friends to Jesus. And how in the world could you preach a whole entire series for several weeks about getting lost people to Jesus without using the illustration of Mark chapter 2 of bringing friends to Jesus? So let me read it to you now, Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible said, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. Boy, I'm praying for that on June the 23rd. I'm praying that Jesus will show up in the house. Amen. The Bible said that he's gone back to Capernaum. Most people believe that was the, the, uh, his earthly headquarters, the Lord Jesus. His earthly headquarters was there in Capernaum. Most people think that he's in the home of Simon Peter. And the Bible said that while he's there, word gets out all over the community, all over the city, that Jesus was in the house. Look at verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room not to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And I like this last phrase. And he preached the word unto them. When you get a crowd together, don't sing them to death, preach them to death. Amen. He preached the word unto them. Can you imagine that sermon as the incarnate word began to pull out the treasures of the inspired word? He preached the word unto them. And then right in the middle of this glorious service, according to verse number 3, the Bible said, They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, for the crowd that was there, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. All right, look this way. Let me just use this text tonight real fast uh, just to kind of move us inches toward friend day. Let's pray. Father, bless your word, I pray, and speak to our hearts here tonight. Challenge us as we move toward this special day of bringing our friends to you, Lord. And I do pray you'll be in the house. I pray you'll help us and meet our needs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1983, the Ad Council came up with what would become one of the most recognized slogans in all of history. In fact, this slogan that I'm talking about uh, is uh, actually received the Distinguished Clio Award uh, in 1984, making it just a handful in the entire history of that organi organization to receive such a high honor, this slogan. I'm sure many of you will recognize this slogan right here. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. How many of you have ever heard of that slogan before? I remember the commercials back in the 80s and the 90s and probably even the early part of the 2000s with the two dummies. Remember the two dummies? And, uh, you know, they were talking about, man, friends, don't let friends drive drunk. 
I read that not too long ago that that slogan began running as a public service announcement and they tell us that because of that slogan, drunk driving, drunk driving, the percentage of people who were killed by drunk drivers dropped by 25%. Now let me tell you what that means. Last year in the United States of America, 11,773 people were killed in alcohol-related driving instances. Now 25% of that, that 11,773, is 2,943 lives. So in other words... Uh, last year, because of that slogan, 2,943 lives supposedly were saved on highways in the United States of America because somebody started that, that, that slogan, friends don't let friends drive drunk. You say, preacher, that's a big deal. Well, it is a big deal because that means there's a whole lot of families that didn't have to go down to some tragic scene on some highway somewhere and identify the body or the bodies of a loved one that had been killed because of drunk driving. Let me just say this. If one person was saved because of that slogan right there, it'd be well worth it. But think about this. Almost 3,000 lives last year were saved because somebody came up with that slogan, friends don't let friends drive drunk. By the way, let me just say this. Friends ought not to even drink anyway. Friends ought not to let others drink anyway. We're teetotally against alcohol here at Woodland Baptist Church. We're against social drinking, moderate drinking, heavy drinking. We're against all of that. Alcohol was brewed in hell. It was born of the devil, and it'll rot your guts out. We think as God's people, we ought never, ever have anything to do with alcohol. But let me give you another slogan now. Because not only do friends not let friends drive drunk. By the way, can I stop and say this? If you had a friend and that friend was getting ready to drive up the highway and he was drunk, he was highly inebriated, you should do everything in your power to keep that person from driving up the highway because, number one, you love that person, and number two, you may, he may be saving the lives of some innocent family that is driving down the highway and that we might be killed because this person was driving under the influence of alcohol. You know, they tell us that every, on any given Friday night in America that one out of every eight cars that you meet on any given Friday night in America is being driven by some person that is driving under the influence of alcohol. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little bit scary to think about that in America. If you had a friend and your friend was dog drunk getting ready to drive up the road, you ought to do everything in your power to keep that friend from driving drunk. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Can I have an amen? amen. But now we're talking about friend day. So let me turn a phrase and say this. Friends don't let friends die lost. I mean, just as, just as much as we ought to do everything in our power to keep one of our friends from driving up the road while intoxicated, we should do everything in our power to keep our friends from dying and going to hell. And really, that's what our story is all about here tonight in this text. It's about some friends who got together and determined to bring another one of their friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's really a great story, but let me just break it down into three statements tonight. First of all, look, if you will, now in verse number 3, and we read about the fella, the fella that met Jesus. The fella that met Jesus. Now, we're told here in verse number 3 about this man that has the palsy. Now, right up front, we're told about this man who was brought 
who was brought to Jesus. Now, from what we're told here in this text, verse 3 and following, we're told three interesting facts about this, this man who met Jesus, this fella who met Jesus. First of all, we're told that he's very sick because we're told there in verse number 3 that he has the palsy. Now, in fact, if you'll read through this text, you'll find that five different times in these verses we're told that this man had palsy. Now, if you look the word palsy up in your Strong's Concordance, it's where we get our English word paralytic from. So we come to understand that this man was totally paralyzed. He was totally incapacitated. Something had happened, some kind of a malfunction in his brain or in his, in his spinal cord that had left him totally paralyzed. His arms were hanging by his side like Christmas tree ornaments. His legs were like spaghetti noodles. He had no strength, no ability whatsoever. He couldn't get anywhere on his own. He was in a desperate condition and totally dependent on someone else for everything that was to be done in his life. So we're told, first of all, this guy's very critically sick. The second thing we're told in this text is that he was a very young person. And the reason I say that is because in verse number 5, Jesus called him son. Son, thy sins be forgiven. We get the word, the, the word son there indicates that he was younger than the Lord Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus is somewhere in this text. He's somewhere between the ages of 30 and 33 years old. We know he started his earthly ministry at the age of 30. We know that he died on the cross at the age of 33. So he's somewhere between 30 and 33 years old. And for Jesus to call this man son, young one, indicates the fact that we're dealing with a very young person. Perhaps he's even in his late teens or, act, uh, or perhaps in his early 20s. So he's a young man. So he's a paralyzed man, but he's also a young man. But then another thing that we find, interesting thing, that is indicated from this text is simply this, that he is sick because of some kind of sin that is going on in his life. Now let me stop and say this, and I've got to say this. Please hear me, hear me well. Not every time that a person gets sick is because of sin. I'm not one of these joy boys on TV that run around and preach this prosperity gospel and tell you that if you get sick, you're out of the will of God. Because we know that some of the greatest people in our Bible were people who suffered. And they suffered because they were, uh, they were doing what was right. And they, 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 were, they, they, were, they, they were diseased or they were in, uh, incarcerated. And that many of them were put to death. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that every time that a person gets sick, it's because of sin. But I do think in this instance, the reason that he was sick was because of some choices that he'd made in his life. He was sick because of his sins. You know, God tells us in the Bible what's wrong and what's right, but then God leads it up to us to make certain choices in our life. And many times, because of the choices that we make in life, we bring, we bring certain things upon our bodies, certain diseases, certain sicknesses upon our bodies, because we fail to listen to what God says in His Word and make bad choices for our life. And be sure, the Bible said, be sure your sin will find you out. Here's a verse, listen to this one, Galatians 6, 8. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh, that's right, reap corruption. I think this man's sickness has been brought upon him because of some sin 
in his life. And the reason I say that is because the Bible tells us that before Jesus ever dealt with his physical condition, he first of all dealt with his spiritual condition. Before Jesus ever looked at him and said, hey, take your bed up and walk, Jesus first of all said, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know, I probably what we could probably call this old boy right here, he was the paralyzed playboy. Maybe because of going out and, and uh, throwing caution to the wind and not listening to what God said in the Word, he, he's, he's brought great disease upon his body. But if I could jump way ahead of myself and say this, before this story is over, Jesus is not only going to cleanse his sin, but thank God Jesus is going to cure his sickness because Jesus is what everybody needs tonight. The fella that met Jesus. This guy is just a reminder that no case is too hard for Jesus to handle. Can I say this? Your loved one, as, as hard as they may be, as callous as they may be, as out in sin as they may be, there's no case too hard for the Lord Jesus to handle. Friends don't let friends die lost. The fella that met Jesus. Number two, look in our text, not only the fellow that met Jesus, but what about this? The friends that marveled Jesus. Now, as wonderful as this story is, I'm talking about this man being, his sins being forgiven and his sickness being cured. As wonderful as all of this is, if this man had been left up to himself, he could have never got to Jesus. He would have never heard my sins are forgiven. He would have never heard thy, uh, take up thy bed and walk. He would have never heard any of that had it not been for somebody who was willing to bring him to Jesus. You know, I got to thinking, you know the reason that all of us in this room are saved is because somebody brought us to Jesus. I mean, maybe it was a soul winner that knocked on your door that introduced you to Jesus. Maybe it was a preacher behind a pulpit that stood up and preached the Lord Jesus to you. Maybe it was a bus worker that came by your house. Maybe it was just a friend that you had that worked on your job that told you about a meeting over at the church and you went there. But none of us could get to Jesus by ourselves. All of us needed somebody to bring us to Jesus. The only way this man ever got to Jesus is because he had some friends that were concerned about him. Now, can I stop and say this? The reason these I'm calling these the friends of this man is because of this. You'll never have a better friend on earth than somebody who'll bring you to Jesus. Let me give you a good definition of what a friend is. A friend is somebody who'll bring you to Jesus. The greatest act of friendship is trying to bring your friends to Jesus. So there's the fella that met Jesus, but thank God for the friends that marveled Jesus. I don't know. I, can I use my sanctified imagination for just a moment? I don't know how all this came about, but I can kind of imagine how it must have happened in my mind because maybe these four fellas that we read about here, verse number four, they're come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. So he has four friends. These four friends bring this paralytic man, this man that is totally incapacitated, this man that has made some bad choices in his life, these four bring this one man to the Lord Jesus. I don't know how it all came to pass. But maybe it was something like this. Maybe they heard about the meeting that was going on down in the house in Capernaum. Maybe they have heard, like, look back over in Mark chapter 1. Maybe they, 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 verse number 34, the Bible said, And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered 
for not the devils to speak because they knew it. So here's Jesus in words starting to get out abroad about how he's healing those with all kinds of diseases. And all of a sudden, these four men hear that Jesus is now in their hometown in Capernaum. And when they think about how that Jesus has been healing people with all kinds of diseases, maybe they think to themselves, you know something, if we could get our friend to Jesus, I think Jesus could help our friend. I mean, I don't know how it all came to pass, where they heard about the meeting, how it all worked out. I don't even know how they were all friends. Maybe they were just friends in high school growing up. Or maybe they'd been to the synagogue together and went to Sabbath school together. Maybe they played ball together. Maybe they were all brought up in the same neighborhood. But somehow or another, these, these men were connected by friendship, and these four loved their friends so much they decided to get together and to bring their friend to Jesus. You know why? Because friends don't don't let friends die lost. So there was the fellow that met Jesus, the friends that marveled Jesus. But then can I say this? There was the faith that moved Jesus. Now here's the story. So they get their friend and they bring him down to the house where Jesus is. Now we only got a problem. We got a problem. And by the way, don't ever think you're going to get your friend to Jesus without some opposition going on. Amen. I mean, they met with great opposition. So they pick him up and they bring him down there to the house where Jesus is. But there's so many people there that they can't get him in. I mean, the place is absolutely crawling with people. There's buggies parked up and down the street. There's buggies parked all over the yard. I mean, people are sitting on tree limbs looking in the windows. I mean, people are they're standing in the doorway. The house is surrounded by people. There are people that are there to hear what Jesus has got to say. And so here come these four boys bringing their friend to Jesus. And when they get there, they say, out of the way. Let us get into Jesus. And that crowd said, no, sir, you can't get in here. Can't anybody get in here there's no way anybody can get anybody else in this house. It is standing room only inside the house. I mean, they met with some opposition. I mean, they were told that they can't get their friend to Jesus. You know, the devil's going to tell you you can't get your friends to Jesus. And can I say this? You can't if you don't try to. As Coach Basketball, one of the things that we always said in the basketball game, you're going to miss 100% of the shots that you never take. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I will never get our friends to Jesus if we never try, if we never take a shot. And the Bible said they bring him down there, and now they're met with great opposition. And the Word of God said they brought him down there and they could not get him in. I can just see people standing around the door saying something like this. He, he, no, sir. He can't get in here. We don't want that kind in here. I mean, who are you kidding, man? If he hadn't made some of the decisions that he made, he wouldn't be in that condition. He wouldn't need to be down here in this meeting. There's no way you can get that guy to Jesus. You boys might as well just carry him back home and forget about it. You're always going to face opposition when you try to get your friends to Jesus. But I like the determination of these four boys because they would not take no for an answer. Hey, don't you take no for an answer. When you're talking to your friends about getting them here for friend day, don't take no for an, for an answer. I mean, listen, we're going to have nurseries for the children. We're going to have, are we going to have inflatables for the kids during service? If you, we are now. We are now. I don't know how, but we are. We're going to have a lot of stuff going on around here that day. 
I mean, there's absolutely, man, unless people are just not even going to be in town, there's no excuse for not. Hey, don't take no for an answer. Keep on. Be determined to get them to Jesus. So what did these four fellows do? Well, they couldn't get him in through the front door. So the Bible said they carry him around to the side of the house. And they pull him up on, the, on top of the house. And they start breaking up the roof on top of the house. And the first thing you know, here's this, here's this great meeting going on inside the house. And Jesus is down there just preaching away when all of a sudden the roof starts opening up. Can you just imagine? The roof just starts automatically just opening up. And before their very eyes, four fellas start letting this guy down into the, into the presence of the Lord Jesus. I mean, they wouldn't take no for an answer. So they lower him down into, the, into this meeting. And you can just see everybody. I mean, everything's just stopped. Everything has come to a grinding halt. This glorious service has been brought to a screeching halt. And everybody is looking at the man on the stretcher. And then Jesus looks up to the hole in the ceiling. And there's four heads sticking inside the hole, looking down to Jesus. And the Bible said in verse number 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the one on the bed, he didn't have any faith. And it wasn't the faith of the, of the paralytic man that moved Jesus. It was the faith of the four friends who knew if they could get him there that Jesus would do the rest. I want to encourage you to bring your friends with you on that Sunday. But listen, it may not come down to whether they've got faith or not. What it may boil down to is if we have faith or not. Hey, let's come the 23rd with great expectation. I once had a preacher to tell me this. Don't expect anything big to happen on big days. Don't expect people to get saved on big days. Don't expect a whole lot. Don't be disappointed now. Preacher, don't get discouraged. If something don't happen on big days, just, that's just the way it is. On big days, nothing. And it would surprise you, the preacher that told that to me. It would surprise you who it was. But he said, don't worry about it. Don't, worry. don't, get, your, don't get your hopes up. Don't be discouraged because not a lot happens on big days. But maybe that's our fault. Maybe our fault, maybe when we come to church, we're not expecting anything. We're not coming with the faith to believe that God is going to move. Can I encourage you when you roll, when you roll in here on the 23rd, some of us are parking on the ball field and some of us are parking uh, somewhere over here. And if we have to, we'll park up at the, at the city hall and bus people, whatever. Hey, but don't roll in here saying, ho-hum, just another day. Because, friend, it ain't going to be another day. Let's come with faith. Let's come believing God can do it. We got them here. And now let's believe God to move in a powerful and a mighty way and to save our lost loved ones, to save our friends. While the Bible said when Jesus saw their faith, he looked down to the guy of the sick of the palsy, and here's what he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But now watch this, because there was a bunch of criticizers that were there that day as well. A bunch of the naysayers were there that day as well. Look at verse number 6. The Bible said, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their heart. So here's this critical crowd. Now it's going to speak up. Man, they're upset because somebody sat in their seat. 
They're up, brother. Brother Jimmy, they're upset because somebody got their parking place. Bobby Ricard stole his parking place. And I'm kidding about that. But I mean, man, they're sitting there and they're thinking, man, what we got to have this big day for? Why we got to bring all these people in here for? I just don't, I just don't understand all that. And this Jesus. I, can't you just hear this stuff? This, who does he think he is? This man. Son, take up thy bed and walk. Thou sins be free. Who can forgive sins but God? There are always going to be those. As great as it is, it's going to criticize what happened. I can see people standing right here. Can't you just see this this day? I mean, here they have, Lord, this man down. Jesus looked at Son, thy sins be forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. This guy just, I mean, instantaneously, miraculously gets up, rolls his bed up, slaps his own shoulder, walks out of there. Everybody else is shouting hallelujah. And there's an old critical crowd standing around saying, I wonder who's going to pay for that roof. Wonder who's going to fix that hole? Bringing all these people in. Wonder who's going to fix them toilets that the that the, the bus kids throw the, the the toilet paper down and stopped up. Wonder who's going to get that writing off the wall. And by the way, I'm for protecting the house of God. Hey, but let's just understand something. The more people you have, the more problems you have at church. And it's okay. We'll have to get it fixed. We'll do it. I'm for keeping God's house right and, and pretty and looking good and things working around here. But let's just understand, look, the more oxen we got in the crib, the dirtier the crib's going to be. Amen. So the Word of God said that they were, they were criticizing. And look at verse number 8. And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned with themselves. You better be careful what you think. I may not know what it is. But Jesus does. Amen. Amen. And the Bible said in verse 9, and I'm done, uh, he said, that, Why reason these, uh, these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Jesus said, Hey, what's easier for me to say? And he said, Is it easier for me to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Hey, rise and take up thy bed and walk? Now let me just say something. That is easy to say. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Because forgiveness of sin is something that takes place on the inside. We can't see that. If Jesus would have said to him, arise and take up your bed, man, that's where the rubber hits the road. I mean, man, because people can see that. But it's not so much which was easier to say as it is so much as whether it is easier to do. Stay with me. Here's the difference. To say that was one thing. To do that was something else. To say your sins are forgiven is easier to say than take your bed up and walk. But to do that, for instance, stay with me, to do that, it was easier to do take your bed up and walk because that just took a word from Jesus. But for Jesus to say, hey, your sins are forgiven, that's going to take the life of Jesus. Hey, hey, to say to, say to you, hey, rise and take up your bed, that's what you say in the house. That could be done in the house. But to say your sins are forgiven, that's what's going to be done on the hill. It's a whole lot easier to say, hey, just take your bed up. And by the way, Jesus said, hey, the reason I'm telling him to take his bed up is so you'll know that I've forgiven his sins. It was a sign. Jesus said, the reason I'm telling him to do this, and they marveled at that. But Jesus said, the greater miracle is not the taking up of the bed. It's the forgiveness of the sins. And can I tell you something? Listen, if we'll come believing God, if we'll come anticipating with faith, God's going to do I got him here. God 
Now it's up to you. There is no telling what may happen here if you and I will come in faith, believe in God, to touch the heart of the ones that we bring. Because friends don't let friends die lost. Let's get them, man. Go after them. Let's get them hard. And let's don't take no for an answer. Through all the opposition, let's bring them. Let's bring them to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Friends, don't let friends. Hey, how many of you got coming so far? How many of you got signed up? Now, I know we're up to about 200 right now, friends, on that particular day. But now, listen, this coming.